Good evening and Happy New Year. You're listening to a special edition of the WORT Local News. I'm contributor Greg Mashad, here to share with you a special edition of my feature, Water Stories. This program is pre-recorded. In 2018, historic floods hit southern Wisconsin. The effect was devastating. It is flooding like they have never seen before in Dane County. Between 7 and 11 inches of rain with the heaviest swath right here, just north of Highway 14, basically along and uh, near it. From Cross Plains to Middleton, between 9 and 11 inches. Some rain gauges reporting upwards of 13 inches. The rising floodwaters of the Black Earth Creek created for some dangerous conditions across western Dane County. It's an unprecedented event. You cannot go by what you've seen in the past. East Washington Avenue, um, they're probably going to have to uh, close some lanes, and they might even have to close it completely um, if the water levels continue to rise um, between um, Mendota and Monona. Here's what WORT reported at the time. There is. Most of our house is on the lawn. Everything from our basement we threw out, and a lot of the things from our living room, and all of our beds are now piled up on the street as well. A lot of musical instruments, and a lot of carpeting, a lot of things that absorb water and absorb the air. So when you think about it, that's a lot of your house. It's a lot of the things you own. were overtopped with water, making them impassable. Schools were closed. Cars floated down streets. Neighbors worked together to sandbag their houses. Many had to evacuate their homes. The severity of damages resulted in a federal presidential disaster declaration. The combined damage estimate for all of southern Wisconsin approached $209 million dollars. Five and a half years later, what steps have been taken by our local government to reduce the severity of future floods? And how are these steps going to protect residents, businesses, and infrastructure from rising water? In this hour, we'll hear from residents and government officials about the damages caused by floods, from physical damage to the mental anguish that goes along with it. Later in the program, We'll learn why our region is vulnerable to flooding and steps taken by both the city of Madison and Dane County to reduce damages posed by future floods. The best time to prepare for a flood is before it hits. Jay McClellan is with Dane County's Department of Emergency Management. We spoke about the steps by Dane County to reduce the impact of flooding since 2018. We started by talking about the severity of floods and how they're measured. So let me say this. Flooding happens every year, but the issue is, is, is the severity. Does what gets damaged, what gets hurt, what catches people's attention? 
So it's a matter of degree and severity that when people start counting floods. And generally, when people pay attention to flooding, when it all of a sudden starts damaging their house or their property or somebody else that they know, where there's some, generally some relationship that uh, individuals have with what they're seeing or what's damaged. Trying to describe how often Dane County floods, generally it may not be much, it may be a small part of Dane County, there may be minimal damage, but still yet there is flooding. And there's variances in where it occurs based on where the rain falls or what kind of drainage occurs. There are so many different factors. It's not just volume of, of water coming down, but uh, largely also rate, how quickly it comes down. So I'd love to say we flood once every five years and, and that'd be it. But in terms of actually determining how often do we flood, severity is a big part of that. When you say severity, obviously I think you're referring to the fact that our most severe floods often result in a presidential disaster declaration. The most recent declaration for Dane County was the 2018 flood. Since about 1970, give or take a few years, how often have presidential declarations for flooding occurred either in Dane County or an adjacent county, but which resulted in damages here in Dane County? Well, from my list, I count 14 since 1976. Christopher moved to McFarland about one year before the 2018 flood. I spoke with him last month about his experience. Can you tell us a little bit about how the flood affected your property? So we knew there were things, flooding was happening in Madison, in downtown Madison on the Isthmus. We could see that roads were being closed and areas of town were, were underwater. So we knew we were looking at probably a problem down the line. But I think it took a few days for it to get to us. We're on Lake Wabisa, and uh, pretty much the first sign that the lake was rising to one of the highest levels I think it's ever been at is our pier was underwater. Uh, we have a bench that sits on the top of our pier, and all we could do is see the bench. And the panels in our pier were starting to come out and float down the lake. So we had to retrieve them. We had to retrieve them from our neighbor's yard, you know, because they were coming out. And people were securing their piers. And, uh, and so we were starting to get our neighbors, both of our neighbors on both sides of us, we kind of share the lakefront. And we were starting to get water coming in once the lake got to that level. We were starting to get some water coming into our backyard. So uh, we started to sandbag the, uh, the lakefront. And so that was the first thing we did. That was the first time we kind of started to, you know, get worried about it, uh, think that maybe this is going to be a problem. Uh, so we sandbagged along that lake shore for a day or so. But then it started, it, it, we started to get a lot of rain, inches and inches of rain every day. So our backyard started to fill up with water, our side yard between our neighbors. And our backyard started to fill up with water. And at one point, I think we had maybe a foot of water in our backyard. And we were getting a bit panicky about whether it would get to our house and affect our house in some way. So we started pumping. The neighbors had a pump. We had a pump. We had maybe two pumps. Both sides of the neighbors had pumps. So we started pumping and, and making a dent in it. And finally, I went to a rotor router 
went to the rotor in town and said, hey, can you bring your truck out here and pump the water out of our backyard because it's really getting, it's getting close to our house. And uh, he took one look at it and said, you know, I could pump my entire truck full and wouldn't even dent your problem. So that wasn't an option. I also kind of stopped one of the pump trunks that was working in the village that we lived in, asked them about it, said, oh, man, we're way too busy. We've got all sorts of things that we got to do. So uh, I went out and got a commercial pump, and, uh, and I think we pumped for three solid days to make sure that the water didn't come close to our house. And it was very strenuous. <laughs> I'm kind of an old guy, you know, and we were doing it. My wife was helping us. And the neighbors all pitched in, uh, but uh, we, we managed to keep the water from coming to our house. So there really was no damage done to our house, but, uh, you know, we, we were kind of a, in a low level between our, both of our neighbors on either side, so we got, we got the brunt of it. Um, but it was, it was scary. It was scary, and we were panicky about it and desperate about it. So, like I say, we just worked at it for days to make sure that the water didn't come anywhere near our house. The 2018 flood caused severe damage to Madison and throughout Dane County. Initial Dane County estimates from September 2018, just weeks after the floods, put the total public sector damage at about $39 million. About 20% of that cost was the loss and expense to public buildings and equipment, and another quarter of that $39 million went to losses and expenses to public utilities. Nearly 18% went to emergency response and repairs to roadways, and another 12.5% went to infrastructure for water control, such as culverts. Just a small percentage of that number, 6% of the overall public cost, went to cleaning debris, and 2.5% to emergency response and sandbagging. Meanwhile, about 1,544 total residences were affected by flooding, with five homes destroyed, more than 300 with major damage, more than 850 homes with minor damage, and another 380 affected by flooding. More than 100 businesses were affected, with 17 businesses suffering major damage, 27 with minor damage, and 63 more businesses affected by flooding. Initial estimates found that the dollar amount of damages for residents was upwards of $78 million. Businesses incurred another $37 million plus. Both residents and businesses reported only 2% of those damages insured. The Costco store, located on the west side of the Beltline near Middleton, had flood water enter the building while shoppers were inside. The rising water prevented some customers from reaching their vehicles. US-14 was overtopped with water, and portions of the nearby railroad bed were washed away by the floodwaters force. Another business affected by flooding was the shoebox, located in Black Earth, a fixture since 1968. According to a follow-up report from Madison Commons, the shoebox was finally restored three years later after spending nearly a million dollars to repair. Jay McClellan is with Dane County's Department of Emergency Management. He says those numbers are likely just the tip of the iceberg. 
As an example, the village of Mazomani, their administrator is really on the ball. Through applying for grants and other uh, activities, he was able to bring in that and the village was able to bring in approximately $13 million to help uh, deal with Black Earth Creek as it goes through the village and also buy out homes that were flooded. The village of Mazomani has received a combination of grants, state and federal assistance to help buy out homes that are in the floodplain and chances are will be flooded again. So to make the owners whole, allowing them an opportunity to be able to uh, move away from a property that is, doesn't have much hope of staying dry forever, making that into public land so that it's not just uh, benefiting uh, the individuals who are selling the property, but building that into park systems, building that into public space, building that into a place where there won't be any damage that people need to worry about again. That's one of the things that they were able to do, as well as with that uh, money. They're going ahead and cleaning up the uh, banks of the Black Earth Creek as it flows through the village of Mazomani. Uh, a lot of trees, a lot of snags that slow and impede water flow, a lot of erosion that gets in and can help fell more trees into Black Earth Creek. Peter brought in the grant money and, and the other monies to help ensure that the stream bank of Black Earth Creek is going to be fortified and those kinds of issues will be minimized going forward. It's a huge capital project and through a lot of very dedicated effort, they're able to do that to reduce the harm, uh, potential for harm in the future, mitigation efforts. So in 2018, the types of flooding that Mazomani suffered were largely where Black Earth Creek backed up and overtopped its banks and impacted houses around it. There were areas where water flowed that you know, people had never seen water flow before, obviously. But with that, trying to reduce the risk of that happening again, there were efforts that they could take of which this is working with the banks and cleaning up Black Earth Creek through the village is part of that. But the other types of damage that were also suffered in 2018 include uh, people who were maybe on the side of a hillside, and yet the water flowing downhill washed out the culverts. If there was debris that blocked up the culvert at the end of their driveway, uh, those culverts may have been washed out, totally overtopped, and there was so much water coming down the hillside, it washed out the end of their driveway. It scoured away some of the roadbed, depending on the roads they were on, those were different types of damage, a public sector damage versus individuals, but it still impacted people. They couldn't get out of their homes. They couldn't get out of their driveways. And as well, there was a huge number, it was surprising to us, on the western side of Madison, town of Middleton, uh, town of Verona, city of Middleton, that was uh, flooded based on water that came up through the storm systems as well as the uh, sanitary sewer systems. There was just that much water that overtopped uh, lift stations and uh, caused sewage to back up. There was just that much water in a very short amount of time. Certain areas of the county received upwards of 15 inches, we heard reports of, in approximately four and a half hours. Just the rate at which that comes down makes all the difference. And how severe the damage is, where it occurs, all of these things factor into 
how much damage and the type of damage that's caused. Jay, did you have any damages to your house or to uh, homes in your neighborhood from that flood? Well, as a matter of fact, my uh, lift station that uh, takes the, the sanitary sewage from my neighborhood was overtopped, which meant that there was more pressure on the lift station than it could handle, and it caused the lift station to back up, and my basement was flooded. McClellan and I talked about steps that homeowners can take to reduce flooding the next time. One of the other things that could help avoid this are working backflow preventers. And this is where I think if there's any part of our recorded conversation, this is the part I'd really like everybody to pay attention to, identifying how you can reduce your risk of suffering flood damage, making sure you have a working backflow preventer. Uh, there are Madison Metro Sewerage District on their webpage if you start searching for that, or just Google backflow preventers on sanitary sewer lines. Give you a good idea of what's out there to ensure that things don't back up into your house, but as with anything that just sits there for years and doesn't get used, it can sort of freeze up and be stuck there. Mechanical things work best when they're used on a regular basis and taken care of, not just buried in your basement floor and forgotten about. And finally, McClellan recommends some tips for homeowners to consider when preparing for future floods. The other key part of this is understanding that people do store things in their basements, making sure, number one, if you have something that you can't afford to lose, don't store it in your basement. Uh, if you do have things in your basement, understand that, yes, there could be something you will never expect that could cause flooding. So don't put anything that's irreplaceable or too expensive to lose in your basement. And if you have stuff on the floor, at least buy some plastic shelving, get some pallets, get it up off the floor. But also don't assume that a four-inch pallet will always keep you out of the water. Before government leaders could decide what types of steps to take to reduce flood damages, they realized the need to know more about the causes and the types of flooding that occur here. And not all floods occur the same way. John Reimer is the assistant director of the Dane County Land and Water Resources Department. I asked him about the different types of flooding. Generally, we have a few types of flooding. One is groundwater flooding. So this is below the land. This is what would come up um, where water people will experience this in their basements. Uh, they'll get wet basements. Their sump pumps will be, be running a lot. Um, it's generally a delayed, a slower process. So, for example, if we get a wet year this year, we may not see groundwater flooding for six months, a year later. Um, it's not immediate that we see this. Versus another type of flooding, for example, flash flooding. And now flash flooding occurs generally in urban areas where there's homes and there's a lot of impervious surfaces. What happens here is you get a big rainstorm, a lot of intensity of rain, where we get a lot of rain at once. And, for example, the storm sewers can't keep up and deliver enough water out through the storm sewers. Well, and when that happens, it backs up, it fills into the roads, and as it fills up in our roads, then it may enter enter people's houses through the first floor, through um, window wells, and come in through people's houses. And usually why, why it's called flash flooding is because it occurs in a flash. It's very fast. So we get a, a storm, and there's generally not as much time to react to something like this. 
And then the last one generally we see is a lake or riverine flooding. This is where we have surface water, um, for example, our Yahara lakes. As we get rain, right, they keep filling up, filling up, and as they keep filling up with water, if the river can't pass all the water out, then the lakes continuously fill. And as it fills, it starts to spill then, you know, over into the floodplain. And then as it's in the floodplain, if people's homes are there, then they will experience uh, flooding in those areas. So um, generally, flash flooding is pretty fast. So when we had flash flooding in the 2018 uh, event, we had a lot of flash flooding around um, um, the Isthmus area in Madison. And that flash flooding occurred, and people experienced damages. And But our lake and riverine flooding was, was only going to happen like seven days later. So people thought they were done. At least they were in the urban areas, but around the lakes, it was another seven days later where the water continuously rose. It was running off from the watershed um, and flowing into our lakes. And then um, people experienced lake, lake flooding about seven days later after, after we experienced flash flooding. But groundwater flooding... Um, I've gotten calls from all over the county. I don't know if I could really say it's only this place. People say they have um, water in their basements and their sump pump just continuously runs. Um, when we had flooding, even in the Ahara Lakes, people around the lakes that aren't even on the lake, they were experiencing water in their basements. Professors at the University of Wisconsin are studying the growth of kettle ponds, which are sometimes called prairie potholes. These ponds have no outflow to drain water away from the ponds. They are largely fed by groundwater, but they are also supplemented by rain and snow. One of these ponds, Lake Barney, was about 42 acres in size 30 years ago, but is now reported to be more than double in size. This expansion is threatening farm fields and a home. I asked if there are other examples. John, is Fish Lake an example of one of those um, prairie potholes that are really fed by groundwater? It exactly is. It's a kettle pond where at one point in geological time it had an outlet um, because as the glaciers melted and they filled up these kettles, you know, they overflowed. But since then, you know, the water levels have gone down and they don't have a natural outlet or they haven't in, in our recent time. But since they don't have a natural outlet, they keep filling with water, keep filling, keep expanding, keep growing where maybe there's homes. And eventually, there's a possibility those lakes will overtop and spill out, but they're still continuously rising on those lakes. And yeah, they are fed by groundwater, as you mentioned. There's some surface water that come in, but primarily they're groundwater lakes. Can you tell us a few of the major factors that make Dane County so vulnerable to flooding? We have the population base here where those damages do occur. Compared to other smaller counties, we definitely have more claims then because we have more people. And then we also have, because we have more people, we have more urban area. We have more impervious areas. We have these places where water isn't soaking into the ground as much as we can. And that's why in the county, we're doing the best we can to improve our stormwater ordinances to make sure that these developments are infiltrating water, they're storing water, they're not letting it run off. So development has caused this, you know, our, our topography is a product of this because generally in the Ohio Lakes it's very flat. 
So water doesn't move very quickly. It's not very steep topography where water can move very quickly and efficiently. It stays here. It's very slow and stagnant moving water because of the topography. I mean, there, there's several other factors as well. We can even think on the climate side too. I mean, we've noticed these storms are getting more intense than we've had 10 years ago. They're getting more intense. There's more storms of it, more, more rainfall we're getting every year. These compounding factors affect us, right? We have more impervious surfaces. We have bigger storms. Our systems are very slow moving. It doesn't transport it. We have, for example, in the Ahara Lakes, our sediment removal. We have um, sediment that's coming in. It's clogging our, our waterways. So we've done things that we need to figure out how we can improve things here. And that's through our stormwater ordinances and in a lot of our mitigation projects we're doing to help offset some of these issues. Using this information, what steps have been taken by Dane County since the 2018 flood to reduce future damages from floods? So our, our suck the muck project that we've been working on primarily has been focusing on our, our upland streams that feed into our lakes. So we've done some work on Dorn Creek, Six Mile Creek, removing what we call legacy sediment within our streams. So over time, sediment accumulates in our streams, and as that sediment accumulates, it also has attached to it phosphorus or other, other nutrients that can cause algae blooms or other water quality problems in our lakes. And what we've been doing is removing this muck, hence the term suck the muck, out of our streams that feed into our lakes um, so that we can remove all the nutrients and, and all the muck sediments. And we've, we've been successfully doing that on, on several streams within the Har Lakes. Our next project that we're planning is, is Door Creek. That, that's been our suck the muck. Also related to this, and oftentimes these get kind of interchanged, is our work that we're doing in the actual Yahara River for our Yahara Lakes and we're removing sediment there in the river, but it's not these mucky-type sediments we find in our, in our tributaries. It's more of a sandy-type material that's been accumulating because of, for example, winter operations, putting sand on the roads, and then that goes through our storm sewers and then enters into the river, and it continuously accumulates. And why that's a problem is as that sediment accumulates, it restricts water flow that's moving through our Yahara Lakes, and as it restricts water flow, that can impound water on our lakes and cause flooding. So we started removing material from the Ahara Lakes. We have a, a five-phase plan to do so. We're on phase three of that right now. But, yeah, we've been continuously working hard at trying to basically unclog our drain so that way when we get these big rains, the water can pass safely and efficiently through our lakes and mitigate flooding. Yeah, so, so to kind of recap, we have two efforts on our sediment removal. One is on our tributary streams that feed the Ahara Lakes um, and primarily geared for water quality, um, removing that muck, and then the, um, which we call suck the muck. And then the other projects we have is in the Ahara River that's removing sediment, and that's for water quantity or mitigating flooding. You mentioned the effort to try to reduce nutrients as well as uh, removing sediment from the waterways. Can you tell us if there are any other projects uh, aimed at doing that? In the county, we have a lot of projects um, that we work on with water quality and quantity. 
within our, our department, Land and Water Resources Department, you know, we have several divisions. One is working with agriculture farmers, and we have several projects going on with, with the farming community. For example, working with farmers for continuous cover, where we convert traditional row crops to a permanent land cover. When that happens, right, we don't have the soil exposed, so that means plants are growing there. That increases infiltration of water. It reduces runoff. It stores the nutrients there on that field instead of running off. We have several projects working with farmers on that. We're working with also farmers on cover crops, developing nutrient management plans with farms. Um, I mean, there's there's a whole slew of things. Um, we work with our digesters to store manure and move some of that manure around so it's not put in the watershed. We have other projects on the urban side, working with erosion and stormwater projects um, and implementing the best practices like silt fence, stormwater ponds. And then also, this is a, a plug out there to other municipalities that are listening, we have an urban water quality grant where Dane County provide funds to municipalities uh, if they want to put, for example, a detention pond in for stormwater, for reducing runoff, for collecting nutrients, we'll provide 50% uh, match funding uh, to municipalities to put these uh, stormwater practices in. You mentioned the Door Creek Wetland Project. John, can you describe how that particular project will help with flood control? Yeah, that's great. So specifically with Door Creek, what we're looking at doing is not only removing the muck, which contains high phosphorus and high nutrient levels, but we're also looking at re-meandering the stream. Right now it's a very straight stream. It just dumps straight into the lake. And what we want to do is re-meander that stream so the water can flow around a path. And as it does that, there's wetlands surrounding Door Creek. So we're dredging it out so it's not so deep, so it allows the water then, when we get a big storm event, to spill into the floodplain, and it can store water, it can store sediment, it can store nutrients, and can provide you know, multiple benefits to the downstream receiving water, in this case Lake Caganza. Um, and then also on top of that, we're looking at ways how can we improve fish passage up in here, get more fish to be spawning in this area, and create this stacked ecosystem benefits that, that we can with this project. We're finishing the plans right now with that, and we hope to go out for bid for that work shortly here in 2024. John, you had mentioned to me that Dane County also offers a incentive or program to help acquire marginal land or repetitively damaged properties to help control flood damage. This is separate from the FEMA buyout program. Could you explain a little bit how the Dane County program works? Generally, we look for these kind of marginal lands. If we can, we try and target these lands that are adjacent to our parkland. And what we're trying to do is grow our parkland that are near, um, where we have the resources and the capacity to convert some of these lands that would be otherwise farm, but maybe they should be converted to, for example, wetland area or area that can trap nutrients and store nutrients. A good example of that, um, if people are familiar, is our recent purchase of the property near Pheasant Branch Creek, and that was about 159 acres, and, and in that case, we removed the, the farmstead, the structures that were there, and we built um, a flood and sediment trap pond. And then the adjacent land are phased in to be converted from cropland to, to native prairie. 
that's kind of an example of our conservation fund grant. You mentioned buyouts, and we have done buyouts. Most recent ones I can recall is up on on Fish Lake, so the northwest uh, corner of our county. Um, they've been experiencing flooding up there for for many years, um, and it's continuously risen. and And these properties were were completely submerged underwater, and in the county purchased these properties and took down the houses. And now those houses where they used to be, they're completely submerged underwater. You know, they were inhabitable once the water rose. So the county came in, purchased them, and allowed these people then to kind of move in and and restart their lives somewhere else. More from Water Stories when we return. How high is the water, mama? Three feet high and rising. How high is the water, papa? She said it's three feet high and rising. Well, the hives are gone, I lost my bees. Chickens are sleeping in the willow trees. Cows in water up past her knees. Three feet high and rising. Good evening. You're listening to a pre-recorded special on the WORT Local News. I'm your host, Greg Michaud. I report about water issues for the news program, and tonight... We're taking a look at the historic 2018 floods and what's happened since then to reduce the severity of the next flood. According to the National Weather Service, 11.63 inches of rain fell over 24 hours in August of 2018 in the area west of Madison. City estimates found that the flood caused about $4 million in substantial damage to public infrastructure and an estimated $30 million in damage to private property. The reported damage to private property, though, is about half that number. Flooding is one of the few natural disasters our city is prone to. The natural geography of Madison doesn't help reduce our risk. We're one of just two cities in the nation to be situated on an isthmus sandwiched between lakes. That risk has been exacerbated by climate change, record development, which leads to more pavement, more runoff, and less green space to absorb water. In January of 2019, just months after the historic floods, the city's engineering division launched a program to trace the existing stormwater system and study all of Madison's watersheds. Hannah Mohelnitsky is the spokesperson for the city's engineering division, and we talked about the city's steps to reduce and prevent flood damages. Approaching stormwater in the city of Madison has grown just like our system. And then in 2018, after that devastating flood for our community, we launched the watershed studies. We have 22 watersheds we're planning to study. We have 18 separate studies underway or completed, and we have just about two that we have left to do. The watershed studies is really an overall look at our whole watershed. How is water moving in and out of our area, and how is it impacting our community? 
that is data-driven through modeling and behind the computer screen and really looking at how the water is moving and impacting. Um, that includes, you know, different elevations and which way the water is moving and how much water is moving through. Are there any pressure points? Identifying them. And then next, we pair the data-driven approach with on the ground. We, we need to get out with public information meetings and focus group meetings, walk and talks with our community. So pairing the data with the human is really imperative for these studies to provide results and guidance to us to be able to do projects that actually solve some of the flooding issues that we're experiencing. I asked, what does the human approach mean? What does that mean? Our human approach is, you know, our community telling us when they're experiencing flooding, reporting flooding, sending in photos. Hey, my intersection in my neighborhood floods every big rainstorm. Here's a photo of it, and it rains about this much, or it pools this much, or my basement is damp or floods. Um, We want to hear from our community. All of those different ways of gathering data are included in the watershed studies. And then the studies themselves provide more information and guidance to us so that we know where the issues are in the community. From the watershed studies that have been completed, what type of activities have been identified or perhaps even undertaken so far? Oh, goodness. I say, oh, goodness, because it's just been so busy. It's been so busy with the work behind the scenes. It's been busy in in the field. I'll give you kind of a, a higher higher view of this. Big things that we've done include updating our stormwater ordinance for the city. Mm-hmm. And that ordinance is something that helps guide and protect our community, especially when we have development and redevelopment in the city. Second thing that we've done is upgrading wherever we can with culverts and storm drains, wherever we're doing road reconstruction, and then also just projects as a whole that have kind of come out of the watershed studies that we've noticed they, we need to do this now. Um, so big projects, construction, actually digging in the ground, maybe upgrading you know, culverts or building ponds or looking at things that way physically in the ground. And then third, we, we also support the Suxamuck project, the county's project. They lead that project, which improves capacity and water flow in the Yahara River system. You mentioned the stormwater ordinance, and in a lot of communities across the nation where I've talked to uh, public works officials and elected officials about stormwater ordinances, I've always heard that it's very difficult to get these kind of ordinances revised or passed. What does the stormwater ordinance here in Madison require developers to do? Well, there's a whole list of rules. The bigger picture, I guess, answer to that would be there's more of a focus on the stormwater infrastructure that has to go in. It's stricter. It's more strict for our developers and redevelopers to build because we can't have, you know, new developments and redevelopments happening without thinking of stormwater. If an area is getting hit with urban flash flooding regularly and somebody wants to redevelop in that area, they have to also provide the stormwater infrastructure that will support that water flow and quantity of water in that area. 
I think the big thing also is that our development and redevelopment community has been a partner in this. When we were updating our ordinance, we were working with them on what is realistic, what are some areas that we're asking for, is this going to be possible? Developers in the area don't want their properties flooded either. So it's really a win-win for everybody. The other part of it is, yes, green water infrastructure is more expensive. It's more expensive for the city. It's more expensive for the developers because it requires more design, more material, more everything that goes into it. But it's something that we have to do. It's really a non-negotiable at this point because we don't want our community to flood. Tell me about some of the roadway improvement projects in terms of, oh, just how many of them have been started and and where they're located. We have, at least to date, 13 different roadway projects underway, um, and we've, we've really done a lot of different work in each of them. So we did work on the McKenna Boulevard flood mitigation. That was a two-phase, multi-year project from Schrader Road to Elver Park, where there was substantial flooding in 2018. Um, We also understand that a person lost their life in the flood in this area. It was really important to us to understand the intersection of design and humanness in our stormwater approach and solution in this area. Hawks Landing flood mitigation, that was a three-phase, multi-year project, started before 2018, but then completed recently this spring. Mendota Grassman Greenway construction will likely start this winter, but that is repairing failing channel, our failing channel from Old Middleton Road to Lake Mendota for flood mitigation. We have Lower Badger Mill Creek Pond Project. That's a large regional pond just west of Hawks Landing, currently under construction. We've applied for a $6 million FEMA brick grant, awaiting our award and announcement of that for work to remedy the Old Sock Trails Business Park flooding that happened. We saw that largely in 2018. It's currently in design, and we're just waiting for the grant. Swallowtail Pond Enlargement, ongoing in conjunction with the Pleasant View Road Reconstruction Project happening right now. Atwood Avenue, this is the large street project impacting our community right now in construction, um, but in that road reconstruction, which includes bike paths and all sorts of improvements to that area, is an upsized pipe included underground for flood mitigation in that area. Again, as we all know, that's right by the lake too, so very important. University Avenue is another project. Um, That's a huge storm sewer pipe, 96 inches for flood mitigation. It's just a big pipe that needs to handle a lot of water. Waite Circle was a project that we completed right away after the 2018 flood. We actually um, had to replace an existing culvert at Waite Circle. It was initially an issue, then we did an emergency fix, and then that emergency fix didn't get updated. So we updated that, and that was a huge success story, an example of our community really telling us and us responding and providing a solution quickly. Other big projects, lastly, um, larger pipes installed, Deerholt, Hammersley, Lake Mendota Drive, Davies, Dempsey, um, just to name a few. And this fall, we'll be working on the Robin Greenway, Orchard Drive, and Regent Street at Kenosha culvert replacement. So, so many projects. If you want to know more, Hannah has this helpful web address. View projects on our cityofmadison.com slash projects page. We have a tab of just flood projects. 
but the main hub that people can stay connected on all the resources is cityofmadison.com slash flooding. There you can sign up for flood text alerts, email lists, uh, learn more about the watershed studies and how they're impacting specific areas. There are story maps, videos, podcast episodes, all sorts of different resources are there on cityofmadison.com slash flooding. Thanks for joining us tonight as we reflect on the five-year anniversary of the historic 2018 flood and discussing the steps that local leaders have taken to reduce the impact of the next flood. Because the next flood is not an if, it's a when. That's it for tonight's pre-recorded special. The live local news at 6 p.m. returns tomorrow. You're listening to Community Radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. 